Driving? No purchase necessary. You're listening to Radio Free Urban. Welcome back to Radio Free Urbanism, folks. My name is Alex. I am one of your hosts, and I'm delighted to be joined once again for episode two by Ethan Myers and Nick Laporte. Say hi, guys. Welcome back. What's going on? So today we have a few things to talk about. We have a few interesting projects, some good stuff coming from government, and a couple sad things, as well as a bunch of listener mail coming in from our first episode, which is exciting. I was really pleased with how the first episode goed, uh, goed with how it went. Uh, we, we, <laughs> talked, we, we talked afterwards about how we actually thought it went a lot better than, uh, than we were expecting for the first episode. Uh, we were expecting a few more hiccups than what we had, but overall it went pretty well, and I'm excited for episode two. Uh, before we jump into things, do you guys have any quick thoughts on our first episode? I think the same thing as you, I was surprised at how it went, but I was also disappointed with myself that I wasn't even prepared to talk about myself and my own introduction was pretty bad, but I don't want to go too <laughs> in depth into that and whatever. Let's just, moving on. Nick will remain yeah, a mystery. I, I kind of <laughs> felt like I was a little stiff in that and, you know, audio issues aside, you know, I think, I think it went pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so. So with that, we're actually going to start with Ethan. Ethan's got a story for us. The Valley Metro Northwest extension, which probably means nothing to most people listening. Uh, but do you want to fill us in? What, like, what is it? So as you all know, I'm starting the stories again today, but you may not know this, but the city of Phoenix, Arizona, well known for its awful, awful sprawl. I mean, I'm sure when you think of Phoenix, Arizona, you do not think of transit in any sort of meaningful way. However, they actually do have a light rail system. And it's it's pretty long. I believe the full system is about 35 miles, but it's one single line. So it's one single 35 mile line. So it's like it's like one of the longest light rail lines in the country, in the U.S., and it's the only one in the system. But regardless, it's getting an extension soon uh, towards its north end. It's called the Northwest Extension, and its its first phase has already been completed. But we're looking at the completion of the second phase of the project. It's going to be a mile and a half long, and it's going to connect the light rail system to essentially what is at the moment an abandoned mall. Hmm. Now, what does the city of Phoenix see with this? It sees opportunity. So what they're planning to do is actually build this large TOD project around this brand new station that they're building out there. And this project is opening up more recent than you think. It may actually be one of the first transit projects to open in 2024. So they're looking at early 2024. My guess would be somewhere between January and April, probably closer towards the April end of that. But it's exciting because, I mean, at the moment, the TOD won't be done, but in a few years we could see a pretty significant ridership increase to Phoenix's transit system and actually increasing walkability in an area that many people don't think about for walkability. Yeah, it's kind of interesting seeing this going to what is described on the map that I'm looking at, the former Metro Center Mall. Uh, so it is, is it totally abandoned, Ethan? Like nothing's so, going yeah, on this there. Is a, this is a fully dead mall. I think it closed a few years back, but the goal of it now Essentially, a lot of cities are dealing with this is that the mall is dying. I don't think that's any news to anyone. It's been dying for the past two decades. Hmm. But um, their goal right now is essentially to 
redevelop it into a TOD transit oriented development project. They're planning to build quite a few different apartments there, a couple of hotels, plenty of commercial and office space there as well, too. So hopefully we can see some, you know, more mixed use development in Phoenix. It's actually a surprisingly, it has some surprisingly really walkable areas in the metro area. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Tempe Mm -hmm. or been through it, but like it is actually surprisingly walkable. Hmm. I've heard of Tempe. I've never been there. I've always been curious about Phoenix because I've heard it be described as a poster child for urban sprawl mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways, much like we've talked about last time about places like Vegas, right? Just like huge wide strodes, massive streets, just not walkable at all. So this was actually surprised to me when I saw this on the docket today was, okay, light rail in Phoenix. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's been around for a couple decades, but I mean, the goal of it really is, is that a lot of Southwestern cities are dealing with air quality problems. So while they have built up around the car, because if, if you guys don't know, at least the audience, the Sun Belt really in the U.S., which is kind of like most of the southern states, really developed after the invention of air conditioning, which coincided with the development of the automobile. So a lot of development down here is very sprawling, wide developments, not walkable at all. But a lot of these cities, at least in the southwest, are in these, val- are in these valleys surrounded by mountains, and there's really nowhere for pollution to go. So it just kind of sticks in these valleys, makes air quality terrible. And a lot of cities just like Salt Lake City, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Phoenix, they all deals they all deal with these air quality problems mm-hmm. caused by mountains. And so they're realizing, oh, maybe everybody shouldn't be driving a car here if we want people to be able to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I haven't been to Phoenix, but I know I've been to, I've been in Salt Lake during what's called uh, inversion. And that's when that's when the smog just sits inside the valley and it, it has nowhere to go. And uh, another thing that I know within that Salt Lake Valley, that I-15 stretch through there, driving through there, you have I-15 and it goes and there's mountains on either side. So you're kind of trapped in there. So not only is it an inventor, an environmental concern, it's also there's just nowhere to build. And so you're kind of tied in on these, these mountains on either side. Mm-hmm. So then you start yeah. seeing these transit projects in places where, frankly, you don't really expect them. What is interesting, and I'll add to this about Phoenix, is most cities in the United States, people say they're built around cars, but they weren't really originally built around cars. Phoenix was because it was started later. It was a, a big mass migration down to Phoenix, thanks to the advent of air conditioning, uh, being yeah. able to support a population like that in an area like that. Um, but but now this is really exciting, especially because they're building these stations uh, with the with the revitalization project, rather than saying we're going to build those, and eventually we'll get the transit there. Yeah. So the goal, I mean, really, a lot of the times when it comes to talking about TOD or just, you know, mixed use development, you have this kind of repeating like death spiral of, oh, we don't have the transit, so we can't build density. Oh, we don't have density, so we can't build transit. And it's just kind of this like evil spiral that keeps going round and round and round and nothing ever gets built. But eventually you have to build one or the other to get Mm -hmm. it actually started for you to get rid of that car dependency in areas. And so Phoenix is taking the, you know, build the transit first, then get the mixed use development up. And in my mind, I see that as, you know, the tangible solution, but some areas already have density that 
we can work with, but Phoenix really doesn't. I mean, if you've seen population density maps of Phoenix, it is evenly spread out, fairly low density. So it's good to see some density being planned there, some TOD being planned, and hopefully this sparks some more light rail and transit development in the area. I I hope so. I think a lot of people uh, sometimes expect a little bit too much, um, or I don't want to say too much, but but they they want the big thing or nothing, right? They want yeah, they want an underground metro or or nothing. You know, if it's not an <laughs> underground metro, do you really have transit? But seeing if it's not automated with platform right. screen doors, a full system yeah. running throughout the entire city, I don't know how we can build it and survive. Yeah, yeah. it will be completely car oriented <laughs> if we do not have fully automated platform screen door metros with over 500 stations in a city of 200,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm really happy to see this. I'm excited to see how it goes and uh, kudos to Phoenix and, and uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's fantastic. Do you have any, anything else to add on this one? I do. I, sorry. I wanted to have a, it's all good. (laughs) I want to have a little comment though. As you were talking about, you know, the, being in these valleys, they have nowhere to go, mm-hmm. right? The sprawl has to end at some point. And it's a thing I bring up a lot when I talk to people about this and they say, hey, I like my single family home. I like living in the suburbs. But the reality is we have to deal with it at some point because eventually you're going to run out of space. Yeah, It's just like yeah. here in the lower mainland in, in Vancouver and the greater Vancouver area. We have mountains on the North Shore where it's only so far we can go. We've already built out there. We keep building to the Southeast into Langley and Surrey and it keeps spreading. But eventually- we're going to reach the border and be like, hey, uh, hey, hey, guys, looking over the border, waving at the the Americans there and saying, hey, guys, you got any more space? And then they're going to be saying, no, we're actually going to ask you if you have any space because the, there's nowhere else to go. Yep. So it's kind of a blessing that we have this happening. Like we, we ran out of space. Mm-hmm. So now we have to figure out how to fix it. We can finally make that work. And I'm really excited about that. That's it's all I wanted bad. to say. It's too bad Texas doesn't have that problem. <laughs> yeah, for now. <laughs> and do you know what, though? I, I, I do think, I mean, a lot of people talk about, so in Calgary, we we annex a lot of land in, into Calgary. Calgary is the biggest city, like municipal city uh, by land area in North America, second only to Mexico City. Oh, because, wow. Because wow. We, we gobble up these cities. So there are neighborhoods in Calgary like Shepherd and Mindapore and Bowness and Montgomery, all of these places used to be their own towns. And then they got gobbled up by the municipality, right? Whereas in Vancouver, if you look on a map of Vancouver, Vancouver is actually like 10 municipalities. I think Victoria on Vancouver Island is like 13 municipalities. Calgary is a city. And then there are a few towns on the outside. And I was thinking about how the sprawl in some spots seems to go on forever and seems to be able to go on forever. But also you start butting up against farmland and protected nature reserves and places where people, they say, hey, I like my acreage, (laughs) you know, right? Like, I don't want to live in the city. I don't want to be part of this whole thing, right? And so you start running into other things. It's not just mountains that that, uh, curtail sprawl, right? There are other things. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. think that's where things like regional rail can be really effective for allowing people to live in these other communities, but still enjoy the amenities of of cities and and how you pay for that how you build that how you plan for that that's a whole other thing and, and it depends on a lot of local contexts but uh i think i i think that's something to also be considered uh in in that discussion you know alex i think the actual solution to that would be building a 10 lane highway 
to further increase the mobility between different regions. You're right. My bad. I should have brought up across trains. the green belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have ever brought up trains. They're ineffective completely. Exactly. They're a 19th century technology. Why would we ever invest in them? <laughs> I know. I know. We should quit farming. That's like so 10,000 years ago. Oh my God. Yeah. We should just like cover up every single farm with suburbs, gated communities, as far as you can see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, any, anything else before we move on to Nick Scott? Nick Scott actually like a presentation. I think I do, but we'll move on to that one first story three. Cause I think it, it ties in nicely with this one. So yeah. uh, let's get started. There. This is about uh, BC. So the province, you might think of it as state. And this is coming from what would be called a premier or a governor in the United States. And our premier, EB, he, he recently announced that he's going to make some big changes when it came to housing because it's been a huge problem for decades. This has been broiling for a long time. And somebody's finally trying to address it. Whether or not it's going to work, that's something we'll find out later. Um, but let me first read this part here that I've written out. So BC Premier EB announced a plan to deliver 250,000 new homes the next decade. And this ambitious, ambitious target will be met through major zoning law reforms, focusing on increasing long-term rentals, expanding housing stock, and fostering transit-oriented housing. And concerns include potential renter displacement, developer participation amid economic challenges, and uneven development attractiveness across locations. And examples of this include new rules of short-term rentals like Airbnb, so essentially they've made it or they will make it in the next year that you can only rent out your primary residence or a secondary suite. And they've also updated zoning laws to permit multi-unit buildings and lots that have typically only been used for single family detached homes. So that's good. But the plan also sets important timelines for local governments with key milestones through 2025 for updating zoning bylaws and community plans. And the part that I'd like to focus on is the transit-oriented development and the transit-oriented development plan at areas, these mandated areas now have municipal approval for housing projects that adhere to specific height and density standards. And these standards are tiered based on the type of transit hub and the municipality's characteristics. So for example, developments near SkyTrain station. So that's what we have here in Vancouver. These are subterrain or above ground transit trains that we have in the city. They're automated. They're freaking awesome. We need to have them more everywhere in the whole continent. They're fantastic. I absolutely love them. So they have a minimum heights of 20 stories around those. And a bus exchange like in Metro Vancouver could be up to 12 stories. So these are minimums. So they have wow. to build a certain wow. amount around. So this is from the top down. So yeah. the municipalities, I think they have a chance to actually say, no, we don't want this uh, when this comes to into effect. But I'm it's, I think it's going to be pretty heavy handed. So I'm going to share my screen here. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can check this out. And essentially, I'm going to show a couple different areas that that are going to be affected, for for example. So here, can you guys see my screen? It's coming yeah. up. Yep. There we go. So here we can see the Vancouver area. And this is perfect because it actually shows the different lines. So these are the main lines from Vancouver. One's north-south, one's goes north Northwest to Southeast. And then there's another one that's kind of East-West line. And then this is the West Coast Express, which is more like a regional rail line. So what's getting extended right now, there's a line that's going farther West into the West side of Vancouver. So this yellow line, and also this line from Surrey is going out towards Langley. So those are brand new stops that are happening mm. along there and mm. along here. So all of those places are mandated, but what's also being mandated 
are these stops that already exist. And this is a big deal. So for example, there's a stop, Nanaimo stop, and this is kind of in the middle of Vancouver towards Burnaby, near the east part of Vancouver. And if you zoom in, you can see what's around there. Guys, what is around this station? Tell me what you see. Single family yeah, this looks. This looks like uh this looks like a BART station in uh in the Bay Area. I mean like just single family housing and parking all around the station. Yeah, there's a bus loop and it's almost exclusively single family homes. There's a couple looks like uh three to four story buildings. Mm-hmm. Um but that's that's basically it. And as you go farther down there to the southeast, it's a lot of the same. Some of it gets a bit busier, like Joyce Collingwood here. You can see a few high rises. Um, but this is what they obviously want to prevent happening in the future, especially going down into Surrey in the southeast towards Langley, because a lot of that is farmland and it's going to be single family home developments. Hmm. And what they want to prevent is that happening again. So that's fantastic. That's like setting the stage immediately. You could have an, a brand new stop in the middle of nowhere and they're saying, okay, this is not going to be like the station we have at Joyce Collingwood or Nanaimo. It's not going to be surrounded by single family homes. We have a minimum required development height that you need to build when this gets developed. And that's fantastic. Hmm. I just love that. Yeah. That yeah, that should that should do a really great job of increasing ridership on the SkyTrain, which for, to my knowledge already has incredible ridership as a system. It's yes, the SkyTrain itself does get a lot of ridership, but it turns out that actually the buses get the most. The hmm. buses actually I think it's the busiest bus system in North America, potentially. I heard something like that on a podcast recently. Yeah. My guess, I mean, I don't, probably not busier than Mexico City, New York, or, you know, LA by scale, but or, yeah. I mean, by like pure scale, but like maybe like per, like, you know, capita per rider. Is, yeah, it could ver- is that could very well, sorry, go ahead. Is that, is that BC Transit that runs those buses? TransLink. TransLink. It's called TransLink. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm super excited to see how that turns out over the next decade or so. Um, the extensions are going to be finished soon. I've been watching some of them progress. I live near the one that's heading into West Vancouver. And uh, sorry, not West Vancouver, but the West side of Vancouver. There's West West End, there's West Vancouver, there's the West side of Vancouver. It's a bit confusing. But anyway, uh, it's been kind of cool to see them. They're doing a cut and cover. So they're basically digging out this huge thoroughfare along Broadway. And uh, I actually talked about it in my video I made like six months ago because they actually nixed a bike lane that they ha- were going to have along that corridor. So there's not going to be a bike lane along along that corridor. Explain why that's a mistake. But um, it's been cool to see them do this cut and cover because I've never seen it up close before. So you can actually see down how deep it is. You can see the boring machines and the giant holes they've made. And it's, it's pretty cool. And I'm really excited to see um, it get finished and finally be able to use it, which I think is supposed to be done in 2026. If I'm not mistaken. Nice. That's super exciting. Exciting. Yeah. Uh, and one thing, one thing I want to mention as well is that, like, you talk about the the province basically mandating that the cities do this, that the municipalities have to do this. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming. So in Alberta, uh, the the cities are basically agents of the province. Basically, like they're created by the province, and all of their rights and powers are basically at the whim of the provincial government uh, is that I'm assuming that's pretty similar in British Columbia as well. I'm pretty sure that's yeah. Nationally, that's the same thing. It's the same thing in Ontario. Like the city doesn't decide when they annex it's that's comes from the province, right? Right, right. The same thing. So, Mm -hmm. which I think is a bit unprecedented to be so heavy handed from this way. Like saying, okay, you're zoning the the way you want to zone things doesn't matter anymore. We're going to tell you how it's done. Yeah. 
which is really cool. Yeah. I That's mean, actually, well, it could be bad, it, but it, in this it case, I like cool, it. But <laughs> it can be cool, but yeah. In the, in the U.S., the only state that I know that does anything like that is, um, it's the state of California. They just, um, they have builder's remedy, and I believe that passed a few years ago. I'm not super familiar with California law, but this basically is a requirement from the state saying, hey, you have to have this amount of this type of housing in your municipality. And if you don't, and if your um, zoning laws don't meet these requirements, then developers can basically do what they want. Hmm. Then it's up to state law, which isn't up, you know, as, you know, heavy handed with, you know, zoning restrictions. Right, right. Yeah, it would be interesting to do a kind of deep dive into how municipalities are established and how they work and how their governance operates and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think this is a fantastic, fantastic thing happening because 20 stories minimum along the SkyTrain. 20 huge. stories. That is, yeah. that is like actually huge. Yeah. 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 So that those were just examples that I, I showed you of some of the worst ones. Mm-hmm. There's also some like uh, farther, farther east, like Port Moody. And you can see around that station, it's just parking lots. Like it's mostly parking lots and industrial. And I've been to that station many times to visit some friends. And when you walk from there, uh, it's not terrible, but it's not great. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a nice walkable neighborhood, like what should be there. It's more of a park and ride. Right. Um, but there are good spots like in Burnaby. They've been doing it right for a while now. Like in Metro Town, which is a very built up area, same with Brentwood. It's what I expect these new ones to be. Though in the guidelines, they do state that this is supposed to be, you know, a more mixed use walkable neighborhood, which I haven't necessarily seen implemented super well. Like I don't love going to Metro Town or Brentwood. They feel a bit sterile and they're obviously still very friendly to cars. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm curious to see how that actually plays out. Yeah. 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 I guess we'll have to stay tuned for that. Uh, any other any other thoughts, comments, concerns? Is um is there going to be any sort of like you know adaptation for like missing middle housing kind of in the area? Because I know well, Canada is pretty infamous for having yeah. skyscrapers next to single use ho- or single family <laughs> housing. Yeah, so it's not just that. So it is tiered in the sense that the different types of transit stations will have different rules about what they're going to build there. But for example, those 20 stories beside that SkyTrain station, it's also gradual where it's going to drop okay. off. So within 400 meters, it's this height. And then within 800 meters, it's a lower height. So it just gradually okay, goes so down as you go away Toronto from it. Okay, so Toronto syndrome with the uh, high rises next to single family McMansion. <laughs> you might still in some <laughs> cases, but yeah, it's trying to, you know, gradually move away from that high rises to missing middle to to single family homes. Well, and especially yeah. during the transition period, right? Where yeah. where you're going through this redevelopment phase, right? Where, okay, well, these houses are falling into disrepair, right? Like it's every 30, 60, 50 years, whatever it is, that kind of things are recycled and replaced and, and things things change. Yeah. 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 Cool. And on that note about zoning and stuff, there was actually, this is just a side note, but another thing that was decided on recently. So- I think mostly Vancouver wide. This is a while ago. A while ago, they approved fourplexes. I think across the city. So anything that was single family home is no longer single family. It can be up to fourplex if they want to do that. But there's one neighborhood that's actually not far from me and not far from where some of these new stations are going to be. It's called Shaughnessy, and it's kind of traditionally a very wealthy neighborhood. Really quiet streets. Um, and if you look on a map of Vancouver, it's very unusual because most of Vancouver is a classic grid pattern. The vast mm. majority is a classic grid pattern. But this, these neighborhoods in the middle of Vancouver are all winding suburb-like 
neighborhoods. It's super strange, giant houses, massive houses. And they actually decided that they weren't going to allow grandma suites in this, these neighborhoods. And this hmm. is obviously coming from, you know, a heavy hand from the wealthy people, wink, wink, nod, nod. We don't want more people living in our, our neighborhood. Yeah. It's kind of a, it was kind of a loss for sure, but we'll see how, just, how these things change. I find it crazy that some neighborhoods won't even allow you to have an ADU. I mean, that's just, yeah. That's wild. I also love all the different names for ADUs too. Yeah. I'd never heard grandma suite. I had heard casita. I had heard um, pool house. I've heard, you know, ADU, but it's always fun yeah. hearing the new ones. We, laneway house. I, I would usually say laneway house, but I don't know. Grandma suite just popped into my head. We, so uh, we had, uh, we, we had one at, at my house growing up and we called it a mother-in-law suite. You can have her in the house, but she's got her own key in her separate, uh, separate space there. But, uh, yeah. and, and often when it's over a garage, it can be called a carriage suite, right? Uh, yeah, there are these lots of different ones, but the nice things about ADU's additional dwelling units is that they, they don't really add noticeable density, right? Like, and I, I think that's the most interesting thing when those get opposed is that it's not it's not really doing anything. And in a lot of situations, what it's doing is bringing up the actual population density back to what it was when the neighborhood was originally established, because household sizes have dropped so significantly that now there's no kids to go to the schools in the area. There, there's just a general decline in people uh, going to the shops, going to the local stores. Uh, and, and having ADUs is a really, really simple way, an effective way to bring that population density up to support those existing venues, not even adding more venues, just supporting the existing ones. Mm-hmm. Here's how to increase your density of your neighborhood with this one simple trick. <laughs> NIMBYs, NIMBYs hate number five. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But with that, having talked about housing, we're going to talk about cars a little bit here. This is actually a sad one, but I, I, I wanted to bring this up. Uh, this was an incident between two drivers. And just, a, just a quick trigger warning here. Yeah, for yeah. The trigger warning. Like, this is, this is, depressing this sucks um so yeah the headline is incident between two drivers leaves one dead in northeast and this is uh from daily hive news uh that posted this and of course it was talked about on global and ctv and whatever other local news news sites i found this on the calgary subreddit and the comments uh generally you know p you know uh p people are upset by this obviously Uh, One of the comments says, I don't even look at other drivers anymore. Just move on. Don't want to waste my emotional energy on road rage. But it's sad that this is like a normal, normal thing. So let me let me explain what happened. Basically, there was a road rage incident. Somebody stopped their vehicle, got out of their their vehicle and the other vehicle drove past and then backed into the person killing them. Uh, and, and so somebody died in this road rage incident and they were taken into police custody. Um, fortunately, but, uh, yeah, somebody, somebody died because of this and, uh, you know, and then somebody's saying, I don't even look at drivers anymore. You know, you're not making eye contact anymore because it's scary. 
Uh, I was in the vehicle with my great aunt and she has OnStar. And she does. I don't know why she doesn't use Google Maps. I don't know. I've shown her how to use it, but alas, she uses OnStar. She clicks through and she gives the address of where she wants to go. And once you have the address and it's ready to give you directions, it says, be safe out there. The whole like, we all know this is dangerous. We all know this is scary. And then you have people getting out of their vehicles to confront other people after road rage incidents. I guess somebody somebody captured this on, on video. So that's, of course, going to be used for evidence. Uh, ironically, the person who is sharing this information, their username is Black Ram Calgary Man. Um, but they're a, they're a regular they're a regular per- person uh, in the subreddit. Another person said, "I'm a pedestrian, and I started giving a thumbs down because it still shames bad drivers and isn't as aggressive, or at least I thought so until a fella Saturday flipped me off, yelled at me, and circled the block to yell at me again." That's, that's scary. That's uncomfortable. You're, you're walking along and somebody, and like, here's the thing. Most drivers pay attention for pedestrians. I have, I have footage actually in Calgary. We have a lot of the flashing light crossings for pedestrians. You press the button and you, you step out and drivers in Calgary generally by and large are very, very good at watching for pedestrians and stopping for pedestrians and not getting pissed at pedestrians for crossing the street as long as they're doing so safely. Uh, and I have, I have footage of one of these crossings, the person who was getting ready to cross there. They didn't normally what I would do. I would press the button and then I'd step out as long as like, there's nothing crazy happening. And I know that it's safe, but this person was waiting, letting traffic go by. But of course, drivers without even the lights flashing drivers saw somebody sitting there and this truck I saw stopped ready to let this pedestrian cross saying like, you have the right of way, you're a pedestrian, you know, press the button and get on your way, right? Uh, You don't need to wait for for traffic. And that's wonderful. That's great that people are aware and that people are paying attention. But like, it's just one, one bad person, like, this is serious. It's not like it's not. um, It's not a joke, right? Like, it's not it's not like, well, those are the others. It's like, okay, well, the others kill people. Yeah. Right. And there's also a lot of instances of it not even being intentional. There's a lot mm-hmm. of instances of it just being neglect from a driver. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I see it on the regular when I'm, when I'm working and I'm in the streets and I see things happening and yeah, like you said, same thing here. Most drivers are paying attention when you go across one of those crosswalks with the flashing lights People, you look at them, they see you, they slow down, they stop. Like that's 99 plus percent of the time. That's the way it goes. But it can just be somebody in a hurry, somebody not paying attention or somebody just really aggressive. Actually, Um, I had this one moment. I actually accidentally caught it on camera when I was filming for that video I talked about earlier on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had left my camera on on accident and I was holding it. And a woman went across the street. She had the red hand or whatever orange color hand. And she wasn't supposed to be crossing. And I was watching and I was seeing her. I was looking, there's a car flying towards her. I keep looking back at her. I'm like, oh my God, holy crap. And the car just honks full speed, just missed her and honks as he flies by. And that's another thing I've seen too, is where, yes, the car had the green light. She shouldn't have been crossing the street. She had the hand, but (laughs) 
like they had the the the, the right to be going through there, but that, mm-hmm. that doesn't give you the right to run somebody down in the street. Yeah, it was. I was shocked. I was like, I have to share this eventually, but it's scary. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if if you were at a gun range and some somebody is up by the by the targets, yeah, if they mm-hmm. weren't supposed to be, if it was you know shooting time or whatever, and they're not supposed to be up there. You don't just keep firing and say like, well, I had the right of way. You weren't supposed to be there. No, you you would stop and say, hey, you know, you're not supposed to be there. Get out of the way. This, right? this also does tie back into that topic that we were talking about yesterday, the must get in front syndrome. Mm-hmm. If drivers are inconvenient or people operating vehicles are inconvenienced for, you know, even the slightest modicum of half a second, God forbid you do that as a pedestrian or, you know, someone who's riding a bike, God forbid you do that to someone who's driving a car, because then you'll you'll have to pay the wrath of someone operating a three to five ton motor vehicle. Yeah. So I'm wondering, have you guys had any instances of road rage? Maybe you've been the road rager to some degree, or you've had interactions with people in cars while you were driving or not? I mean, I've been ripped Plenty. past riding my bicycle. Um, yeah, several, several times. And again, most people are nice, but like the ones, the ones who aren't ruin it. Um, yeah, I've had several experiences like that. Ethan, I've, I've dealt with my fair share of punishment passes from drivers when I'm cycling. And I've also dealt with my fair share of drivers who just straight up break the law when I'm trying to cross the street. You know, I've lived in the sunbelt for the past six years at this point. I mean, and even outside of it still, I mean, driver, drivers really, you know, they haven't gotten, they've only really gotten worse. And I mean, that's kind of, you know, a very trivial thing that everybody says about drivers everywhere. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly because drivers just, most people aren't made to be driving. Yeah. 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 When we talk about people being bad drivers in our cities, like you see it in every city. Oh, my, our city has the worst drivers, right? Every city says that. And like you said it, Ethan, it's like a lot of these people shouldn't be driving. They, yeah. A lot of people don't want to be driving. They don't even realize there is actually an option yeah. so they don't have to drive. And I think yeah. one of the biggest problems too is that we make our roads too comfortable for drivers. I mean, we design all of our roads in North America basically to be straight up highway standard. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, we're not implementing if we're implementing traffic calming, it's usually in cities. But if you go out to a suburb and you see a seat, a street that says 25 miles an hour, good chance that if you were to go down it and just guess, you'd probably be going like 35, 40. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's comfortable that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll also say that, you know, because we have created a culture where you must drive the people who cannot drive for one reason or another. I learned a word uh, from a podcast. Uh, I forget what podcast I was listening to, but it's temporarily able-bodied. So all of us here, the three of us, are temporarily able-bodied people because Mm. at some point in our life, whether it's temporary or permanent, something is going to go wrong with our body. Our eyes might stop working. Our ears might stop working. We might lose the ability to speak. We might lose a limb. We might be paralyzed, right? But we build cities for people who are fully and temporarily, that's the key thing, able-bodied, right? At some point, something's going to go wrong. And so we see what happens. Somebody who 
somehow develops epilepsy or a different chronic illness or gets old and just can't drive anymore, right? Their bones don't work the way they used to. They don't feel comfortable on the road. They're not safe on the road. They're not safe to other people on the road. Then we, uh, they lose their driver's license and then what? And then they're trapped, right? Like what kind of depression do, does that give to somebody? They they lose their mobility. We, we also have to talk about, eventually on the podcast, we'll have to talk about the youth as well too because – Generation Z, the generation I'm a part of, I know you both are millennials, but um, <laughs> there's actually a minor generational divide in the uh, in the podcast. But um, I'm on the older end of the millennials, but I know that or I mean, not millennials, Gen Z. Um, but there is actually quite a bit that shows that every generation since I believe Gen X has been driving significantly less and less and less hmm. people in each generation progressively have had their licenses. Hmm. That's or operate a vehicle on the daily basis. That'll have to be a topic brought up yeah. later. But it, I mean, driving as a trend is going down. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. you can see that. I mean, a lot of the posts you see on Reddit and different places, obviously, that's skewed to the younger crowd anyway. But yeah, you say that very often people who are growing up in place. And it, honestly, a lot of the time it comes down to affordability, like people just yeah. can't afford to drive. It's, it's expensive. expensive. Yeah, like, yeah. And it, yeah. And it's expensive to maintain, right? Like our governments made these huge investments into this infrastructure. And then it's like, oh, we have to keep that up. Like we have to keep replacing this stuff. It's expensive <laughs> societally yeah. and personally. Um, yeah. Something getting back to the road rage uh, conversation, something I want to mention is similar incidents via different modes. So, if you were cut off as a pedestrian or as a cyclist uh, by somebody using a similar mode. So I'll give an example from today. Today, I was walking down a sidewalk on the way to my friend's place and I was looking off, <laughs> thinking about something else. I was listening to a podcast and then suddenly there's somebody, somebody right in front of me. And I say, oh, oh, sorry. And I move quickly off to the side and then we pass each other. No problems. I wasn't paying attention, but I was walking. I was moving at walking speed. And the person I almost hit, they weren't mad because, well, you know, the guy wasn't paying attention. But it's no big deal because he's just a guy walking. I can just step out of the way. Uh, and so... Whereas, of course, if that was uh, if if that was a different uh, different situation, right? Then that's uh, if I was in a in a car, right? It would have caused a collision, right? Me not paying attention, and of course, the other person would have been pissed. Mm -hmm. You know. So this, you actually reminded me of something. So um, this is coming from an internet personality who's very car-brained, but I remember Joe Rogan talking about this and he said, why road rage happens? This is his theory is that you're driving this, you know, several ton machine at high speed and the stakes are literally deadly. So mm -hmm. when something happens as little as getting cut off or somebody passes you too closely, you just like, you're already stressed out. It's so you have a baseline of stress that's way higher than it would be in other situations. Mm -hmm. and that's what, that's what happens. That's his theory at least. Yeah. I yeah. can see that. Uh, one story about road rage that I have as a cyclist though, while we're waiting for Ethan to hopefully figure, figure this out. 
is I was I was cycling along with a with a friend of mine. We were on a multi-use pathway that's actually pretty pretty well used. It's it's between a couple major destinations and a couple uh, routes on the primary transit network here in Calgary. And we're cycling along, and we hear this belting behind us. And there's a guy who is in Lycra, and he's hunched over. And we were going up a hill, so we were all kind of moving a little slower. But this guy wanted to pass us. And we said, okay, you know, so we move over to the right. We get in in line and we move over to the right. And this guy starts coming past us. And uh, as as he's passing us, he realized he actually needs to turn right here. And so now as he's passing us, we're in his way. And he said, oh, actually, I need to turn right. He was able to communicate that directly to the people he was trying to pass. And he says, oh, actually, I need to turn right. And we say, oh, sorry. And we all kind of have a laugh. He slows down. We move on, get out of his way. And then he's able to turn right. Mm-hmm. Whereas imagine imagine that situation with cars. You're not communicating with the other people. The other guy, he might be pissed that you're going just barely too fast for him to properly pass you. and make his turn. Whereas on a bicycle, you're able to see, see the person you're able to see the human with you. Right. Uh, whereas we have tinted windows and we don't want to make eye contact with other drivers. Cause what if they're mad at us? Right. What if we did something that frustrated them? Whereas when, when you're on these micro mobility options or walking literally just by foot, you're able to communicate better, uh, with the, with the people and, and it's humanizing. Right. Yeah. Like you see, you see that there's a person there. And I think that speaks to the broader problem with car dependency and what it creates. It's not just the interaction you have, mm-hmm. you know, on the streets. All you can do to communicate with the other drivers is honk at them or, you know, wave your arms, you know, flailing in your car or give them hand gestures yeah. like, uh, you know, V for victory or maybe one less finger type of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, but also like what that does to to our environment, like if you live in suburbia, What's like the stereotypical suburban experience? Like if you look here in Vancouver, like if you live in a separated single family home, a lot of them are just surrounded by either gates at the very least, mm-hmm. or they have giant hedges literally surrounding the entire house. It's like separating yourself from your community. You literally, you literally yep. have your own space, which is important to have your own privacy too, right? But yep. it's not about having a neighborly experience about having my own private space. Nobody's allowed in it. I get inside my car in my private space. I go out in this little bubble of my own to get to work. And it's, it just, it's really, it's too bad. Right. Yeah. And we could have these communities where I like to think of, you know, maybe European style, but even happening here in a lot of places, low rise buildings where you can look out on the street, you you're in your three story apartment and you look out and you can wave to your neighbors who might be walking on the street. Or uh, say hey to your your wife and their friend who's having a coffee, uh, you know, at a local coffee shop. Everything just just a bit close together. Just like it, anyway. I well, too, it, too far I mean, it. we talk about like everybody. I say we, but I mean, like everybody talks about you know this uh, loneliness epidemic. Everybody talks about the problems that we have with how we're not connecting how we used to. How we just sit on our phones and scroll, and we're jealous of so and so's life, right? And, and the adventures they're having and the things they're doing and how much better their life is, right? Uh, and we lose the connection between the, the people around us and, uh, and our experiences. I just moved into a place. I'm hoping to stay here for a while. 
And I'd like to go next door and introduce myself to the neighbors. Maybe bring over some banana bread. I make very good banana bread, by the way. <laughs> uh, bring over some banana bread or something, right? And have a conversation, introduce myself, even though I'm renting, right? Which is, which is another thing I kind of might want to bring up later in this episode or in a future episode. Um, but still being part of that community. Cause I am, I live here, mm. right? Like this is, this is my home now, right? I'm going to be using the roads and using the sidewalks and eating at the restaurants and the grocery stores. I may as well know somebody in the area, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, this is reminding me of something that's my wife and I have been talking about recently. Um, it's not how, how are co-ops done in Alberta? Are they relatively common or no? Co-op like housing. co-op housing? Yeah. Uh, we have a couple. Uh, I know of one not too far from where I'm at. Um, so they are done. They're right. not super huge, though. Like, there's not a yeah. ton of them. Because I know in Ontario, they're very, very sparse. Like, very rare. They're probably definitely not building right now. Like, right now, Ontario has a conservative government. And in different ways, they're just, you know, not gearing in that direction. And BC has always been a place with co-op housing. And it's they're trying to build more. And the thing that I really loved about co-op housing wasn't necessarily, oh, it's cheaper than renting. You know, it's maybe below market rate, even though it's not cheap necessarily, yeah. um, but more reasonable. But the thing I really loved was that it's a community. And right off the bat, when you apply to these places, we've been applying to a few of them, is that they have an emphasis on community. You know, everybody part of that community, the co-op is a quote unquote owner. They have a share in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's really cool. And it's something I've tried to help foster in my building that I'm renting from right now is just having friends now. And honestly, this past weekend, we have this uh, chat group for my building and one of my uh, building mates or neighbors, they said, hey, I need, they literally said, this is hilarious. I need a cup of sugar, right? Just something like that. And then she came over and I gave her some sugar, just creating that community in a, in a, in a place is really nice, really nice to have. It's, I think it's underrated in some, some ways. Yeah. Yeah, it is nice. Uh, I talked to a lady, I work retail sometimes. So I talked to this lady who mentioned she lives in a housing co-op. And uh, it was it was interesting talking to her about her experience. And, and apparently they have a huge wait list. So there's obviously demand for this sort of thing. People are interested in having uh, this sort of housing more. And so I hope that as we do more uh, investments into housing that this is something that's a, that's something that we might might do more of i know the city of calgary is doing i think in the budget it was like 144 million into uh, affordable housing projects for next year yeah. and we also have our housing strategy we're doing a lot of uh, office to housing conversions and so there are things that are happening in the housing sphere and so ho- hopefully we're able to to get more of that going on. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to keep y'all updated and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we get Ethan back on here shortly. We're trying guys. (laughs) Um, But in the meantime, uh, Nick, do you want to, do you want to start your, your little presentation and hopefully, hopefully while you're doing that, Ethan will, will show back up. Yeah. So (laughs) this is something I've always been curious about. Um, I first, heard about this uh, on a list, listening to an episode of War on Cars. And the episode is why Hollywood hates bikes. And it's about moto normativity 
in movies. So I'll get to it in a bit. I watched a movie, Old Dads, and I want to comment on that, and I will. But first, I want to talk about what that exactly means. So um, for example, if you've ever seen the movie 40-Year-Old Virgin, it's a movie where Steve Carell plays this guy who's a 40-Year-Old Virgin, right? And <laughs> there's a, a very thing, obvious thing throughout the movie is that he rides a bicycle. Mm-hmm. He rides a bicycle to work. He's a 40-Year-Old man who rides a bicycle, and it singles him out as part of him being a loser among other characteristics he has. And it's not the only one. Maybe you've seen P.B. Herman loves to ride his bicycle. Um, and there's several examples about where bicycle equals loser. You're lame in some way in a lot of movies. And I, I highly recommend listening to that episode of War on Cars. Why does Hollywood hate bikes? And they go into it. Um, and on the other side, motonormativity is that cars, cars are the cool thing. Cars are the normal thing that you should be getting. For example, in that the movie, 40 Year Old Virgin, he's saying, hey, get you need to get a bike. I'm sure you need to get a car, right? When are you going to buy a car? It comes up all the time. And we've seen so many movies like Fast and the Furious. Uh, what's the one with uh, Keanu Reeves, that beautiful man uh, oh. where he shoots a lot of people? I'm back. Uh, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> no, Ethan's back. Ethan's Weird back. technical issue today. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're, we're going to see if this works. Ho- hopefully it comes out. Uh, but the, the one you're thinking of with Keanu Reeves is John Wick. John we're Wick. We're talking about yeah. the movies now, Ethan. Well, welcome oh, back. Oh, interesting. Yeah. His All wife right, dies. He gets a car. We this podcast to a... Uh, John Wick movie podcast. Yes, yes, right. yes, it's I, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the point is to say that a lot of times in movies, you know, when movies come from a place like LA where car dependency is huge, it's not a surprise when, you know, that is the norm and bikes are made fun of and, you know, taking the bus is the loser way to go. So anyway, uh, I was watching a movie called Old Dads, and this is with a comedian named Bill Burr. And if you're not familiar with him, he's a guy who likes to complain a lot of things in his comedy. Mm-hmm. I personally find him funny a lot of the times. Um, but this movie is about a man who is uh, quite angry about a lot of things. And that's how the movie starts. And uh, I'm going to share my screen here again. So if you want to tag along, but I'm going to explain what's going on. So I'm playing this part of this video here. And he's in the car. He's getting angry. This is near the beginning of the movie. He's, he's angry. He's road raging. He's honking at people. And as he turns the corner, a guy on an electric scooter gets in front of him. He starts screaming at this guy. Who's this loser on this electric scooter? A 30-year-old man riding a kid's toy. He's swerving. This guy in the scooter swerving back and forth. He's like, what are you making a YouTube video? And he's complaining about this guy, angry. And when I first saw this, my eyes rolled, obviously. Um, I ride an electric scooter all the time, almost every day to work. Um, so I was like, here we go again. Another movie where somebody's mad at a scooter and they make the guy in the scooter look like a loser. He even runs a stop sign. And he's uh, also Bill riding Burr, like he's riding like an idiot. He's he riding dangerous. like an idiot. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and Bill Burr says to these people who are standing nearby some pedestrians says, when's the last time you've seen some, one of these a-holes, you know, stop at a stop sign. Um, and anyway, and it also highlights other things about car dependency, him trying to park. He's like, there's a, a thousand drivers in the city and there's only 20 parking spots. And, uh, it kind of highlights a lot of those different things, what I, I thought was really funny. But what really sold this on me was later on in the movie, it kind of comes full circle. So when the movie climaxes, they're getting a ride from a rideshare guy, some old guy. And he says the same thing. When's the last time you've seen one of those a-holes stop at a stop sign? He's pointing at guys on the scooter. And that's when Bilber has this aha moment. They have to get somewhere. They're stuck in traffic and they see those scooters on the side of the street <laughs> and they hop on these scooters 
to, you know, to get to where they have to go, bypassing all the traffic. And he yells, these things are effing awesome. Like, and he's having a blast. <laughs> you know, it's, I'm like, yes, yes, this is it. We, we've done it. Like, it, just highlighting in a tiny way, obviously, that yeah. these things can help you in a lot of ways. And they can be part of our urban fabric as they ride down towards the downtown of LA, the smoke-filled skies. Um, and it was just really fantastic. I really liked that. <laughs> That's awesome. That yeah. That's yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> I I mean, it it's interesting because something that I really want to do next year is get a couple of e bikes and take people out on tours. Oh and, yeah. And show them, you know, yeah. this is what it feels like to ride it. Right. Give them both the sensation of like this is this is what's scary about it. This is what's uncomfortable about it. Right. But also, these are the freeing aspects about it. And this is how you can build a city so that you, you so that you decrease the uncomfortable parts of it and increase the the freeing parts of it, the mobility freedom that you get from from an e-bike. Because I really like I love micro mobility. It's so fun. And Nick, your channel is like largely about that that stuff. So I'm yeah. glad you brought this up. Yeah, I was just yeah, I was really happy, you know, because I, I can get so grumpy so quickly um, <laughs> when stuff like this get brought up in kind of a car brain way. I thought that's the way it was going to go. So it was cool to see it be redeemed and go in that direction at the end of the movie. But yeah, same thing. I love when I have people visiting Vancouver. I'm, I'm like, here, I've got scooters. You want scooters? I got bicycles. Go. And usually, you know, people go on the scooters. I can ride my bike. That's great. And almost every time they're just like, this was awesome. Like this was yeah. so much fun. It was like, yeah, it's a great freaking way to see a city. It is just like, yeah. again, I, I, so I, sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, sorry for my cut out there for a good minute, but uh, I got this uh, bike Metro shirt on today. Perfect for the micro mobility conversation, nice. especially when uh, the movie is based in LA. But um, you know, it is, it is always great whenever I go out somewhere or like I'm visiting somebody, I will like try and drag them to take their local transit. I'll be like, look, you don't know a thing about it. I somehow know more than you about bike share or transit mm -hmm. in your own city. Yeah. I'm going to show you around on it. Yeah. yeah. Get more Absolutely. familiar with it than I am. Yeah. Yeah. And shameless plug, I released a video yesterday about New York City and biking around New York City. And at the end, I quoted a book by Jody Rosen called Two Wheels Good, where he talked about what makes living in a city great and how cycling in a city really or really you haven't really lived in a city or know a city until you've cycled in it. Yeah. 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 It, it gives you a different perspective on it. I know as I've uh, as I've been taking transit around more, especially as the weather's gotten a little bit cooler, I have kind of been reforming a map in my mind of what the city looks like. When I grew up driving in the city, I knew where all the main roads were. I knew how Deerfoot connects to Anderson Road and how I can hop onto Beddington Trail and hop onto Stony Trail, the Ring Road. And from there, I can get onto Shaganapi and go this way and that way. All of these different routes and roads in my head. But now as I've been taking the bus more, I have been refitting it as like, well, you know, the 10 would take me to here and I can get off of the 10 and get onto the red line. The red line, I could get onto the max yellow and take that from there to Heritage Park if I wanted, you know, and I'm rethinking and remapping how I see the city. Same thing with cycling. I'm like, well, there is that one little corner 
that I can pass through that has like an opening between those two houses that I can get through there as a modal filter. And that'll take me onto the multi-use pathway. And that's kind of a straight shot to where I need to go. Mm -hmm. And so as you use Mm -hmm. these different modes to see your city, you really do get a different sense for it and a different appreciation for how to get around the city and what your city looks like and feels like as, as a user of these different modes. Absolutely. And again, like, like when I was in New York, I used the Metro a lot. I got an MTA pass for a week. I absolutely loved the subways, especially when I was going out further, like to East Queens and different things like that. But I've noticed as I've changed, like now, ever since probably 2015, I think when I've been traveling, like I went to Japan that year and I rented a bicycle in every city that I visited. And again, you just get a sense of the city. Cause when you take a train, like you might in New York city, you go underground You take a ride and you pop up somewhere else and you kind of, you have this in your mind, you have this black area, this blacked out area of the city that you just don't know what it is or what it looks like or, or, or the feel. And what I really love about just cycling around, it's not perfect for every situation, but you just happen upon things. And that's what I I really love about it. That's, um, that blacked out area. That's actually one reason that I love uh, overground trains. I know a lot of people yeah. like oh, mentioned, yeah. you know, people are like, build a Metro and put it underground, you know, like build us a real train, get the boring <laughs> machine. Yeah. But also like, it's nice to see the city, right? It's nice to see things. When I was in London, I was like, I don't understand the geography of this place. I don't mm-hmm. like, I, I mm-hmm. didn't get it because I was, I went down. If you've been to London, like the tube is crazy. You go in, you get your ticket, you go past the turnstile, right? The fair gates. And then you go down like this three story escalator down into the depths of the world. And then you walk through these tunnels, zigzagging through, you get to the platform, you hop on the train. It's like a snake because there's because uh, it's a continuous car. And so you can see the the front disappear as you're going around. And then suddenly, well, here you are, you pop out somewhere else. And it's like, I don't know where I went, how I got there, what turns I took, right? Like, I love trains, okay? Let's be clear, I <laughs> yeah, love trains. Me too. But but when you're shoved underground, you don't get a sense for the city that you're visiting. Like bikes, bikes walking, like that human speed is essential for being able to appreciate your surroundings and appreciate the community you live in or the community you're visiting, I think. Yeah. Hey, I, I'm just going to say one thing here. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, so 99% of the trains are above ground, well known for the L. Um, but there's one thing that a lot of people just forget is that like that's become like an icon of the city. Like mm-hmm. every single TV show that's shot there uses L footage like of the train going by above ground. Yeah. I don't think people realize, like people who don't live around trains or anything like that, realize how iconic to a city they become. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They become like the literal physical manifestation of like a major icon of the city. Yeah. Because Chicago wouldn't be Chicago without the L. Yeah. Yeah. It also moves around the city too, right? Like that's a big part of it, right? Like yeah, you have, yeah. you know, you have these landmarks and these towers and these things that you can see, but the train is like this special thing that gets you around. It gets you to places, but it also comes to places, right? Yeah. Like it, it, it's a traveling icon. I mean, yeah. I mean, you see it go by, even if you're just walking or cycling down the street, 
And yeah. when you're on it, you get a whole new perspective of the city. You're not just seeing black tunnels go by the whole time. I mean, some points you will. There are a couple of, you know, underground portions. But for the most part, I mean, even through downtown on a lot of the lines, like the brown line, the pink line, the orange line, the green line, you're going to see the city. Like you're going yeah. to get a great view of the city that you wouldn't anywhere else. Yeah. Mm. I think this is a good transition to something that uh, that we're going to talk about, which is listener mail. And that first one that we have was an email that I know uh, Ethan Ethan was going to kind of guide us through and 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 talk about talking about affordable transit oriented development in East Atlanta. Um, so do you want to do you want to introduce this, Ethan? Yeah, so Atlanta is a very interesting city from everything that I know about it. Um, it really is kind of dealing with this affordability crisis that's going on there because as a city, it's always been kind of this hub, um, especially in the South, for just kind of being not only an economic hub, but a cultural hub. Mm-hmm. And the real problem with Atlanta is that it is built around a lot of sprawl. Mm-hmm. There is some mixed-use development there. There is some denser development there. But a lot of it is still single family, single family housing, even around some of the stations like the MARTA stations, which is basically Atlanta's um, heavy rail metro. And I mean, I'm not super familiar with the um, East plan for Atlanta, but it is. I've also I am a little bit familiar with like the Greenbelt plan there where they're essentially planning to extend light rail out in Atlanta. And I mean, it is optimistic. Hopefully Atlanta can do some more TOD work in the future, um, especially since it has been seeing quite a steep rent increase, just like most of the Southeast and the Sunbelt in general. Um, but, you know, it is it is an optimistic project. Hopefully Atlanta can get it done. There have been some delays with some of their existing projects, and that's mostly due to a lot of exurban influence, of, mm-hmm. you know, anti-transit views there's actually a really really hilarious video i know a lot of like nimbies will claim that crime travels on transit and that'll have to be a whole nother topic in the future but there's this hilarious sketch we'll have to link down to it in the description but it's this comedy sketch of these guys from atlanta and they're planning out a robbery by taking marta (laughs) they're all like they're like we're all gonna meet at five point station and we're gonna load up our breeze cards for the day and then we're gonna head out to Cobb county and rob all these rich people it's hilarious and then of course they're they're seen later on the train carrying a television you know like yeah 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 (laughs) it's the nimbies in atlanta are pretty crazy but i mean Atlanta does have some hope. I mean, it is a very nice city and hopefully we can see some more TOD there. It absolutely deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, so this, this was brought to our attention by uh, a listener, a loyal listener. He's been listening since the very first episode. (laughs) From the beginning. Uh, From the The very beginning. beginning, One of our original fans, Ian McClay. Uh, Thanks for writing in, Ian. He let us know about, about this, this thing um that that was going on he'd hoped to make the groundbreaking but he says i'm really excited about the affordable transit oriented development happening happening uh the next station over from where i live maybe you all are already aware of it i don't know but just wanted to celebrate and call attention to this win for our communities in broader east atlanta so this was this was really great to hear because I wasn't aware of this. I hadn't heard anything about this. Uh, I've been to the South once, to the uh, U.S. South, 
one time uh, to Memphis and Nashville, uh, but never, never to Atlanta. And I don't keep tabs on what's going on in Atlanta. So with listener mail, this is like exactly what we want to see, you know, uh, links and things happening in your local area that we can get excited about and kind of hype up as well and celebrate with you the good stuff that's going on. Cause there is good stuff going on, which is great to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Um, I see it a lot too. There's a lot of pessimism. Um, mm-hmm. I see comments on some of my videos when they comment and say, Oh, you're just, you know, you're okay with the status quo, which is definitely not what I'm okay with, but yeah, there is good things happening in North America. We're going in the right direction in a lot of places. Obviously NIMBYism is a big problem in a lot of places still, uh, there's a lot of, you know, political will in the opposite direction and a lot of money in the opposite direction too. We can't discount how much political influence the car lobbies have. They are very, 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 very wealthy. And that mm-hmm. has a lot of influence. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good things going on. Like the one story I had here about in BC, um, this seems to be a similar thing, which is awesome. It's really cool. It's I good mean, to see things like this happen. Yeah. If we can, if we can have transit expansion in Phoenix, Arizona of all places, I mean, yeah. There obviously it's not like there isn't a whole lot of political or it's not like there aren't adversaries to this. I mean, Nick brought that up the auto lobby, but there's also the oil lobby too, which is probably even more powerful than the auto lobby. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and there's also, I mean, there's also varying levels of government involved in each of these things, right? Like a lot of projects. So the, the green line in Calgary, our new train line that I'm so excited for, I've been waiting my whole life for this train. Uh, but, it is beginning construction next year. They've been working on utility utility movements uh, to make room for the construction. Uh, but the construction for at least phase one of the Green Line starts next year. And I'm super, 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 super excited for it. Um, but yeah, it, it takes a long time and it is funded by the federal government and the provincial government and the municipal government. These projects are expensive. They take a lot of work. They take a lot of teamwork. And that's why it's really important to uh, to help out, to to do your part. Mm-hmm. Nick, so is this you look line, like you want to say something. So I'm looking at a map of uh, Calgary and their transit, which mm-hmm. is like actually pretty impressive. I've been, I've used it once. I've been to Calgary like three times. And one of the times I used it quite a bit, uh, the trains, which I was actually really impressed by. It's not something you think of when you think of Calgary, you think of, you know, mm-hmm. sprawling suburbs. So it was really cool to see. So does this, this new line, the green line, it's heading to the South East. Southeast. Okay. Yeah. So it's an extension of an already existing line. Is that right? No, no, oh, it's this an entirely is a new line, totally new line, separate line. It's also going to use, uh, uh, different, different trains as well like our existing c train the red line and the blue line maybe we can really get into like do some segments on the transit where where we live and like really dig into it in an episode sometime but the red line and the blue line is our existing lrt okay uh and it is a high floor uh vehicle uh then the new ones the green line will be low floor uh, and then we also have some other rapid transit options, the max purple, max yellow, teal, and orange, uh, which are buses, but they have like heated shelters, uh, advanced queues, sometimes their own lanes, uh, kind of depends what, uh, so it's kind of like, it's kind of like a rapid ride bus. Yeah. It's like, it, it, it's got some, some elements of BRT. Uh, it's pretty good, and honestly, I think an underrated aspect of uh, of Calgary Transit. But uh, yeah, there there's some actually good stuff going on here, 
uh, that, yeah, people people don't think about, which kind of leads us into our next comment, uh, our next listener mail, which is from Austin Serson, who is a friend of mine, and he's also a YouTuber. He does he does cycling videos and has some really great cycling videos put to music of different routes, mostly around Calgary, but also Vancouver, Victoria, he's been to and a few other places. Um, but the reason I bring Austin's comment up next is because he actually, he moved to Calgary because he was a fan of our light rail transit, uh, which actually has a huge ridership. Uh, I watched one of, uh, Dominic's videos. Uh, Dominic is, uh, he runs, uh, more than transit. Um, oh. and one of his recent videos mentioned that, uh, on the Calgary C train, the LRT we have here, it's, uh, got a daily ridership of 240,000, uh, people. Um, but, uh, yeah, Austin told me that he was really impressed. Like he was really impressed with, with Calgary's train. So he wanted to move here, but his comment on our YouTube video says, excited to add this podcast to my weekly listening. I don't have too much to add on, but development wise, the Brentwood co-op redevelopment in Calgary, which Brentwood is a C train station, one of our train stops in Calgary by the university and then co-op the Calgary co-op. It's a grocery store is starting up again. And I think it looks much better this time around with less ground space dedicated to parking and a pedestrian corridor from the station to the park. Also, love hearing the train news. I'm really hoping with more voices talking about Alberta high-speed rail that it will actually happen. The fact that we had passenger rail between Calgary and Edmonton in the 80s when our cities were half the size or smaller is mind-blowing to me that we don't have even a slow-speed passenger train now. That's insane. I didn't know there wasn't a train. Yeah, yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't. Cal- the Calgary's not even on the Via Rail. It's the most uh, obvious line. city pair in Canada that I have ever seen for any sort of rail possible, especially yeah. regional rail. Like it, they're they're like perfect distance. Yeah, yeah, and it's not like there's a huge terrain issue either. It's like, no. What do you mean? No. It's really flat. That's <laughs> problematic, isn't it? That's so difficult. I just can't build trains on flat ground. It's no, just less mountains. fun. I need a challenge. You need all the bends in the line. Yeah, if I can't build a tunnel, I'm not not interested. Yeah, if if you're not if you're not building a tunnel through the mountain, is it even worth building a train there? Yeah, come on, <laughs> give me a challenge, guys. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate Austin's comment, um, especially about the Brentwood Co-op. I should have pulled up the renderings of that uh, before coming coming on the show. Whoopsies. Um, but yeah, they they've got uh, basically a low surface parking. Uh, situation uh more towers they already have a couple towers in the area um maybe i'll pull up a a little map to do here uh google maps and uh show you guys where where this is happening but yeah and it's around a train station it's right at the university so it's kind of it's one of those no-brainer spots right uh that that we're all familiar with and that we all love so let me pull up a screen sharing thing here. Screen, bum, 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 Google Maps, share, here we go. Okay, so here you see this is, so this is the University of Calgary over here, all these school buildings and such. Then here is the train line. Here's the train station. This one is like a center running track down a highway, Crowchild Trail. 
And uh, this is what is going to be redeveloped here is uh, this co-op here, this grocery store, this gas station and Wendy's. Uh, this will be redeveloped into a beautiful transit oriented development. As you can see here, there are already towers that are built here. There's a good pub back here. Some other stuff that I hope will eventually also be redeveloped. Every time I see a parking lot, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> That's like right for redevelopment. It's just because you're not you're not destroying anything anybody cares about. It's a parking lot. Uh, You can put that underground. Also in this area, something while we're here, while we're here on this little tour uh, here in this area, you see a lot of a bit higher density housing going on here. There is some some good food happening here. Uh, There's a movie theater Stuff like that. Village ice cream. Very tasty local (laughs) ice cream. Uh, Also the Children's Hospital. And you have the Foothills Medical Center as well, which is where I was born. So thanks for coming on my little tour of of this here. Also, this is a redevelopment that will happen someday eventually that I'll also talk about someday. But yeah, uh, the spot Austin's talking about is here. Thanks uh, Thanks for listening to that whole thing oh, that's it's, cool. um it's an interesting place for a uh, tod development just being right next to a highway yeah um it's uh it's definitely gonna have some issues with noise and um transit access too even with the uh the overpasses built there a lot of people aren't surprisingly a lot of people won't take transit if it's right in the middle of the highway they're just yeah uh, do you have like numbers on that? Do you know like what? So I know my good friend Alan Fisher just did a video on it um, a little bit ago, but I believe it was in Philadelphia. They have a station. Um, I could, I'll, I'll screen share it eventually. We'll have to talk mm-hmm. about um, highway running stations. Um, the station name is called Spring Garden. Hmm. And it's on the, uh, if you're familiar with Philadelphia at all, it's on the Market Frankfurt line. And I believe Spring Garden has some of the lowest ridership out of the entire line. But overall, just from personal experience, it's in, and I'm pretty sure most humans can agree with me. It's incredibly uncomfortable being on an open platform right next to a four lane highway where traffic's moving 60 plus miles an hour. Yeah. 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 It's not very pleasant in general just to be near a highway. I will say this highway is three lanes in each direction and the speed is 80 kilometers an hour. So that's like 45 miles per hour. So it's not, uh, it's not like a bonkers bananas highway. Uh, but it, it doesn't have lights at least, uh, starting a little sooner than that. So it's um, like, it's an expressway, but it only has a 45 mile an hour speed limit. Yeah. You'd be surprised how slow our highways are here. Well, welcome to Canada. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm <laughs> we drive a little bit slower than you guys. Yeah. In the U S I'd be like, that's, that's, that's like a hundred kilometers an hour minimum. Oh, I swear. Oh yeah. If this, if this road was in the States, the speed limit would be much higher. Now, obviously people are going 10 over that. So obviously people are going like 55 down that. Oh yeah. 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 But I think most highways in Canada are like 60 to 65 miles an mm-hmm. hour. So like a hundred kilometers per hour. Some are like 110. Are there, there's anything more than 110? Is there 120 uh, cal- I like think near- Ontario, Ontario and the Coquihalla. Ontario, I don't think they have anything that's above 100. Do they not? I don't think so. Oh, I thought I thought I thought they did. I thought they had like some 
some special wizard highways. But I know there's the the Coquihalla through uh, through yeah, BC. I've been on has, that one. Uh, yeah, it's like a 120 speed limit. Yeah. I now this will blow your Canadian minds, <laughs> but there is a highway in Texas with a max speed or with a speed limit of 136 kilometers an hour. Oh wow, man. that's fun. Yeah, it's that, uh, it's one. It's one of the ring roads around, uh, I believe, Houston, and uh, it's a toll road that's privately owned, and I believe the ownership has gone bankrupt once before. Oh, my. Oh, good for them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> highways, expensive to, to build and maintain. <laughs> I, I have just one experience to share. Uh, I was in Germany a few years ago visiting a friend, and he picked me up in Cologne. I was jet-lagged, so I we got in his car to go to his place, a uh, small town in, near Cologne in Germany. And we got on the Autobahn, obviously, but I passed out. Um, and we woke up I'm like, oh, we're already there. He's like, yeah, you were passed out. He's like, I was going 160. You didn't even notice you were sleeping like a baby. I was like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> Wish yeah, I was awake for that one. I mean, I'm not saying driving fast isn't fun. No. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, so I've got one more comment to share here before we kind of start wrapping up here. Uh, and this is from Hall's Emporium on YouTube, aka Jen Hall, good friend of mine. Uh, she says, on the note of needing space for ambulances in urban design, on another podcast, our YouTube uh, our YouTube video one wait one of the hosts mentioned or or YouTube video one of the hosts mentioned that emergencies happen in large malls, and depending on the location of the emergency, they will need to walk a decent distance to get to the emergency. Think multi-level building, for example. As long as there's room on an adjacent street, that should, su- that should suffice. Also, the traffic calmed street will have far lower likelihood of having emergencies on it anyhow. And yeah. I think that's a, that's a great point yeah. too. Emergencies are going to happen everywhere for all sorts of reasons. They happen on farms. They happen in parks. They happen all sorts of places that shouldn't stop us from building quality infrastructure. And I also don't think that we should build streets that are too narrow for an ambulance to fit down. Yeah. And obviously right? yeah. ambulances don't have to be as massive as they are. So well, I used to right. be a paramedic. So I used to work on ambulance and yeah. you can see the difference between different countries in North America. We use a very standard box type truck as an mm-hmm. ambulance. But if you look at other places mm-hmm. in the world, they can be a lot smaller. Same with fire trucks, you know, um, And it brings me to the point where, you know, a fire chief in the fire lobby is almost lobbying to keep their places safer to give them more work in a sense, like in Mm. a sick, not deliberately. I don't think that they, they literally want to get to the the call as quickly as possible. And that's their aim. But in a roundabout way, they're making their cities less safe by, you know, lobbying to have wider streets so that their giant fire trucks or ambulances can fit through. Yeah. Yeah. So they make a good yeah. point. Yeah. So I, I I think that's important to remember because uh, I know I saw I saw a comment on on one of the city's engagement things and they somebody was worried about this and I I think it's really important. I mean, we talk about NIMBYs, we talk about like us versus them stuff, but the bottom line is these are people who also live in your city and have legitimate concerns, whether you feel they're legitimate or not. These people f- feel. These are legitimate concerns. They're worried about something, Mm -hmm. right? And how they express that, however that comes out, you know, we need to address that uh, with compassion and try and understand where they're they're coming from. Uh, But I did see a a comment 
talking about how we need to build wider roads so that we can fit these emergency vehicles through. Something that I think I'll talk about in the future, though, is an interesting solution that they're doing on 16th Avenue in Calgary, which is giving uh, fire trucks uh, special sensors for activating the lights that they need to make sure that they get all greens, which makes it safer Mm -hmm. for the emergency vehicle to go through the intersection because they have the green, they have the right of way. They don't have to kind of do that eke through and hopefully squeeze past the cars. And so there are other ways to make sure that emergency vehicles are getting through without, you know, maintaining some fully extra lane, just in case there's the need for it sometime. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, um, signal priority for emergency vehicles is actually like super common in the U.S. I haven't lived yeah. anywhere where that actually isn't a thing. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know, like I don't know what's existing, but I know what they're doing right now is like it has some additional thing that they're that they're doing with the the technology. But that's something we can talk about on a on a future episode. For now, we gotta wrap it up here. Uh, and I'm going to start our wrap up with a recommendation and that is the sprawl repair manual, uh, by Galena Tchiva. I hope I said that right. I don't know if I did though, but basically it talks about how we can take spaces, uh, similar to what Ethan was talking about in, uh, in Phoenix, abandoned malls and start the process of turning them into pleasant urban spaces that we can all enjoy and appreciate um, that way. So that's uh, that's a little recommendation that I have. Uh, what about you guys? What's Wait, what's that, going on is in that your straight lives? Straight from the WEF. That is, actually, <laughs> yes, it is straight from the WEF, the UN, the 15-minute cities yeah. cabal right. at the center of the earth, so running all things. W- yes, when you live there, you have to stay there. You can't leave, right? You absolutely, there's no, no leaving ever. Everything's rented. You're going to love it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. You get it. You get a tracker. Actually, I heard that they're basing, uh, like a young adult, uh, uh, fantasy fiction on, on it. Like it's like a post-apocalyptic thing, uh, taking inspiration from Maze Runner and the Hunger Games. So look forward to that. Beautiful. Love that. Yeah. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I just released a video if you want to check it out. It's about New York City, uh, what I love, what I didn't like, and uh, how it's improving to possibly be the greatest cycling city in North America. Wow. Yeah. Exciting. And um, I have a video coming out later this week. Um, more hot takes from me. Uh, it'll be a tier list video. So stay tuned for that one. Yeah. And I'd like to mention too, uh, if you want to email us about anything going on in your city, you have questions for us or anything like that. Uh, just email us at uh, radiofreeurbanism at gmail.com. You can message us on our YouTube channel. Just leave a comment. We read those as well. Um, but also we're going to be starting a Patreon soon. So if there's anything you'd like to see in Patreon, like we might be doing an extra podcast or extended podcast or something like that, any kind of perk that you would like to see, let us know too. We'd be interested to know. And especially because, well, considering our, our malfunction we had today, Maybe we can gift uh, Ethan a, a new hard drive so that this doesn't happen again. So <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, Nick. <laughs> no, we're serious, Ethan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it's, it's so weird. Like my my laptop is it's it's on the it's on the edge of dying. Like, <laughs> it, like it's still got plenty of power under the hood, but like the storage is like gone. Yeah. Well, that's OK. It happens. And uh, I guess we'll find out when we get off here. 
how how the recording worked out and and what we can put together. But I'm excited for this. We talked about some interesting things and we'll we'll be back next week with a whole other episode, like a completely different one where we talk about different stuff. And we don't uh, have technical issues. Yeah, uh, still related to urbanism, but uh, other other things. All right, well, thanks, guys. And with that, we'll we'll chat next week. Have a great one, y'all. This show is made possible by listeners like you. For more episodes, find us on your favorite podcatcher or on YouTube at Radio Free Urbanism.